Good morning, everybody. I think most times I've stood here, I'm, hopefully you, you've realized that I'm one of those people that enjoys words. Um, so much so that some time ago, I actually woke up in the middle of the night and realized I had lots of words going around my brain, just inside my head. And sadly, I just spent ages just lying, lying there, indulging these words and creating more and bigger words. Not phrases, just words, which totally convinced my husband I am bonkers <laughs> and made me realise that I probably have something which is diagnosable. <laughs> but I have been reading recently some words in, in our purpose, mission and vision statement and there's some good stuff in here, some good words. This booklet outlines the church's vision expressed through our key images of the river and the tree, which we've heard a lot of preaching about. The river that flows from the temple of God, the streams of living water that run from the throne and cause the tree to be refreshed by unending streams of love. There's some good words in here, really good words. And when we were, I was looking at this, one thing that's, that jumped out at me was the expression, um, the with God life. Trevor has talked about the with God life, and it comes from John Ortberg, who Trevor has also mentioned, who I knew nothing about at all, and I've had a, a quick look, and he's an American pastor, speaker, and author. And he coined the phrase, the with God life. And I got quite excited about that. Well, this, this is a lovely phrase, the with God life. But what spoke to me, it's very easy to be enthused by words, isn't it? To get excited by little phrases. I love Shakespeare. And it's great. I can get hold of a Shakespeare phrase. I can listen to people speaking. I just love all of that. It's wonderful. But in a sense, it doesn't matter what's behind the phrase. I can just love it for what it is. But it isn't life and death to me. But I think it's really important to make sure we know what is behind the words that we're using. And it says in here, it, it can be easy to be enthused by words, but what is the most important is the vision and the passion that burns in each of our hearts to see these things realized. So it's what's behind the words. I think it's been really good this morning that we've spent time, we get so much good word and we get prophetic word. And it's so easy to go away and to forget it and to um, forget the impact of what's really behind it. So it's been brilliant to revisit um, the word that came from last week and just to take hold of those words and to realise that there's, they're not just nice things, but there's depth and importance behind those and life-changing. They're life-changing words. So I began to have to think about what the with God life really means. What does it really mean other than being just a nice sounding thing? And the first thing I notice is it says it's the with God life. It's not the with God existence. I think you can be a slug or a bit of pond life in your existing. But we're called to more than that. We're called to fullness of life. John's gospel said that God didn't send Jesus into the world to condemn the world, but to bring salvation and that we might have life in all its fullness, which I think has been coming through again today. Life in all its fullness. So if we are called to a with God life, how does God feel about a with God life? Is God on board with a with God life? And I've just written, 
I'm going to read these to you. These are just verses of scripture. They are totally out of context, which is not always a good thing to do. Um, But I just want to give us an idea of, of what God feels about the with God life. So there's some things from the Old Testament, some things from the New. Some addressed to a nation. But some of these are things that I think we need to hear and be encouraged by. So Joshua 1.9 says, Be strong and courageous. Do not be afraid. Do not be discouraged. For the Lord your God will be with you wherever you go. Isaiah 41.10 Do not fear, for I am with you. Do not be dismayed, for I am your God. And Zephaniah 3.17 The Lord your God is with you. The mighty warrior who saves. He will take great delight in you. In his love, he will no longer rebuke you, but will rejoice over you with singing. And a response from Psalm 23, verse 4, Even though I walk through the darkest valley, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. And there's some New Testament, Matthew 1, 23, quoting from Isaiah 7, The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son, and they will call him Emmanuel which means God with us. Matthew 28:20 20, and surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. Hebrews 13:5 keep your lives free from the love of money and be content with what you have because God has said never will I leave you never will I forsake you. And Revelation 21:3 and I heard a loud voice from the throne saying look God's dwelling place is among the people, and he will dwell with them. They will be his people, and God himself will be with them and be their God. I think God's pretty on board with being with us, actually. We are God's idea. When God created us, he didn't just go off to be God and leave us to it. He created us for a relationship. He wanted us to walk in, he wanted to walk in the garden with us. And to be in a mutual loving friendship and relationship. The psalmist says in Psalm 139.7. I can never escape from your spirit. I can never get away from your presence. And when I read that I had a bit of a. Oh I can never get away from you. (laughs) And sometimes I think sometimes we think. Oh I wish I could just get away from God sometimes. Because of what he's. Well I don't know. Just sometimes. But that's a wonderful thing. We can never get away from the presence of God. He went before us before we knew him while we were still sinners. He wooed us. He sent Jesus so that we could have intimacy with him. And there's a, a lovely a phrase in Ecclesiastes 3, 1, 11, which says, God has put eternity in our hearts. There's an awareness in people that there is something more than this passing world. And I believe there's a spiritual dimension which you can overlook in, in all human beings. We are created to have a spiritual dimension. Um, I recently went to hear, um, it's called the Bradford Literary Festival, but it was a lot more than just literature, actually. And I went to hear um, two young women singing, and they were called the Pearls of Islam. They were young Muslim women from the Caribbean. And they were just, it really was like worship, to be quite honest. They were singing songs, but they had their faith... And I'm not saying I was on board with everything. If they were singing about Muhammad, Muhammad doesn't particularly float my boat. Okay. But there was such a joyful expression and overflow of their faith and spirituality and all that we did that I found it very worshipful. 
And I found it very moving, actually. I'm not a tearful sort of person, but I found it quite moving. And I found that I was in the midst of that with a lot of Muslim women. I was able to worship Jesus in, in that atmosphere of spirituality. And also the thing that first won me over when I was at college, um, that won me over to Jesus really, is people I met who were believers who talked and acted as though Jesus was real. They weren't just Sunday Christians, but they were people living the with good God life, which was overflowing. And that just won me over really. So if God is with me, how do I make sure that I'm truly living a life with him, a real with God life? How can I be the person I am truly meant to be in my relationship with the Father, with the Son, with the Spirit? It's not about what I do, but who I am as well. It's not about what I do. How can I live a life where I'm always aware that I am with God, whether I'm in a good place or going through the storms that we've heard about this morning? Trevor talked about the need to stop trying and to start training a couple of weeks ago when he was preaching. Start training ourselves to be godly. And he mentioned that there are habits of the heart that can help us with this. Spiritual disciplines or habits. Now I don't know what when someone mentions spiritual disciplines. How that makes you feel. Because I think sometimes you can instantly have a bit of a guilt about that. Oh gosh. A spiritual discipline, particularly when the person that has mentioned it has said that you are going to actually tell the church about the spiritual disciplines, which is a bit worrying. Um, sometimes we can think instantly, or oh, it might just be me. Um, oh dear, well, I don't know. I'm not qualified to talk about that. I'm not very good at praying. And, and oh gosh, I don't always read my Bible every day. I sometimes forget, oh, have I done it today? And there are things that I don't do. But God doesn't want us to feel guilty about those things. He wants us to flourish. And spiritual disciplines or habits are just ways that help us to allow the springs to spring up, the river of God to flow in our ordinary everyday lives, and help us to draw close to the God who is God with us, in God whose spirit actually lives inside of us. John Ortberg says, The main measure of your devotion to God is not your devotional life, it is simply your life. So the main measure of our devotion to God is not our devotional lives, it is just our lives. And I think spiritual habits should begin with a hunger for more of God, a hunger to meet with him and to partner with him. Sometimes our heart should say, I've been reading Hosea recently, and it's a lot about punishment and how the, the people have gone away from God but there's a lovely verse in Hosea 6.3 which says, Oh, that we might know the Lord. Let us press on to know him. He will respond to us as surely as the arrival of dawn or the coming of rains in early spring. That speaks of refreshing, doesn't it? Oh, that we might know the Lord. Let us press on to know him. And I just think so often we need to press in and press on to know him. And I can remember, I think it was Nathan some years, uh, some while ago, talking about um, God not being very good at hide and seek. He's just like a father who, who makes a bit of a pretense with a young child to hide away, but really he's, he's just, he's only making a bit of a game of it, and he wants to be found. As we draw near to God, he draws near to us, James 4, 8. 
And I just want briefly, because I think all these things, there are many people that could speak much better on these than me. And I thought, do I really need to bring these things? Because they seem like basic habits. But I think really it confirms what Wendy has brought to us. Because I was going to look briefly at prayer, reading the word, and meeting together. So prayer. It can be many things and done in many ways. It can be part of a ritual or a set liturgy. If you go to some churches this morning, you'll be following through a set liturgy or a ritual. It can be quite... That I must say, that would not suit me week upon week upon week, following a set liturgy that never seems to vary much from week to week. But I think one of the... It's not liturgical, but one of the times that God most spoke to me was in a Catholic church setting when we had an all-night vigil. Our students um, went and we sort of just were with God through the night. And just being in that sort of... And I can remember there was a statue of the Virgin Mary. And, you know, I wasn't into statues of Virgin Mary or anyone else really. But sitting through the night in that atmosphere and that peace and, and it just God just spoke to my heart. And it was totally out of what, what I would normally have done. It can be alone, prayer can be alone, prayer can be together, I think it should be both. However it's expressed, Jesus makes it clear it isn't babbling on, using lots of special words and it isn't about a special technique. It's about connecting with God's heart and allowing the Holy Spirit to flow through us, to help us with that. Um, To go a bit Anglican now, I've mentioned the Catholics. Archbishop Justin Welby says, prayer is one of the most intimate and beautiful activities in which human beings can engage and is how we establish our true identity as individuals and as the church. Mother Teresa said, Prayer enlarges the heart until it is capable of containing God's gift of himself. Gosh, there's a lot to think about in there, isn't there? That's a sermon and a half, I think. Justin Welby again says, Just as we can't maneuver our way into friendships, it's the same with prayer. We pray to relish and rejoice in him. Relationships are built on partnerships. Prayer is about sharing every part of yourself and your life with God. God doesn't say, press those buttons in the right order and live a suitably good life. He just says, come and be with me. So if it's about relationship, how do I make relationships? And and the best example is, how do I make relationships with other people? So I make time for relationships. I spend time with people. When you meet with people, you talk, you listen. It doesn't have to be particularly about anything spiritual. You're just talking together. You're listening. You're enjoying their company. You're eating with people. Sometimes we share intimate things with one another. Now, not everything is out there. We obviously have to be wise, don't we, in in what we share. But as we develop relationships with people, there are some people we share very deep and intimate things with. We're honest We're open. We're vulnerable. We can talk about our problems and the storms of life that we're facing. We can share good news. We can express gratitude. 
we can think about other people. So when you're out with somebody for a walk or what have you, you can be talking and thinking and praying together about somebody else. You can ask for guidance and wisdom from somebody. And you can be silent in each other's presence knowing it's just okay. Same with God. I think we can apply all those things with God. Let's make time for his relationship with him. Talk to him. Listen as well. Enjoy his company. Know he's enjoying our company. Be honest. Be open. You can be most vulnerable with God. Because it's just you and it's just him. And he knows about you anyway. He knows everything about us. So he knows our vulnerabilities. Sometimes he wants us to talk about our problems. But to express gratitude as well. So the ways I spend time with God can vary. Remember this is a love relationship. Okay, our relationship with God is a love relationship. And there are things that people who love one another sometimes want to say very privately. They don't want to shout. (laughs) You wouldn't stand up here and shout um, if you were in a love relationship with with another human being in here. They would be most embarrassed if you were shouted out all the little intimacies that you would say in private to them publicly. So sometimes I believe it's good to set time aside to be alone with God. When, when I first became a Christian, it was very clear what you, it was almost an expectation. You read your, the Bible, you made a time, you had your quiet time, which was like, you know, every day um, you spent at least half an hour. If you were very spiritual, you spent an hour praying. But actually, some of those things were good things. Um, they were good things. And I think it's still good to set aside a time, if you can, to be with God. It's not supposed to be a chore, though it is a commitment. And I don't think we can get away with the fact that a lot of these things involve commitment. But whatever you do, don't set yourself up to fail. I had a, t- had a time when I was, I had newly qualified as a teacher. And I was sharing, um, it was a room in a house basically with a friend. And we had to share, we had one bed and we had one camp bed, which was a joy. And she said it would be a good idea, I would like to have stayed in the bed actually, but she said it would be a good idea to share so that sometimes one of us was in the camp bed and one was in the bed. So it was all a bit spartan. I don't think there was any central heating because we are going back a bit. And I decided that it would be a good idea. I needed to pray before I went to work. Um, so it really meant that if I was going to pray before I went to work, I needed to get up about six o'clock in the morning. Now, if you're going to only ask my husband, I'm not a morning person. So I think, as I was saying to God, right, I'm going to get up at six o'clock in the morning every day to pray. He was probably thinking, mm-hmm. let's see how this one goes. <laughs> it, did, it didn't go far, actually. Because I used to have to go downstairs because I couldn't pray in the room because my friend was in the room as well. So there was no way because I like to pray aloud. I could pray in the room and I couldn't have turned a light on to see anything. So I had to go and sit downstairs in front of a little gas fire at six o'clock in the morning trying to be all spiritual. And actually it didn't work. So don't set yourself up to fail. Just make a time. I mean, I found when I was working, I had all on before I retired to get out of the house and get over to Oldham. So I used to just pray in the car as I was going over. And God would speak to me and show me things. 
it's good to set a time, but set it when, which is when it's right for you and when it's right for you to meet with God. Um, 1 Thessalonians 5, 16 to 18 says, pray without ceasing. So that can't be about spending a set time in a set place, can it? Because you just can't pray without ceasing. You've got to get to work and all do all those other things. Um, but it's about living the with God life. It's about connecting with God, whatever is happening in our daily lives. So we can be open to prayer when we're out for a walk, looking at God's creation. When making a coffee at work in your garden. I used to be very scathing. Have you ever heard of Patience Strong? She was a, a woman that used to write these, these oh dear, I can say too much. But she used to write these little poems. And there was one about being nearer God's heart in the garden than anywhere else on earth. And I used to think, oh, what a load of rubbish is that? You know, God is with you everywhere. It's not just when you're in the garden. God's with you everywhere. But I think there's almost an element of creation that draws you to God, actually. Um, So maybe I shouldn't be so scathing about that. And, And God, we all started in a garden, didn't we? So maybe a garden is close to God's heart. Yes. So when painting a picture or sailing a boat, neither of which I would ever do, God can speak to us. We just need to tune in to hear his voice. God can speak to us when things are busy and noisy or in times when there's a pause in our activities. And don't be afraid to experiment with prayer. Do something new. We're talking about new things. You can get into a little rut, can't you, of the way you do things. And be still before God. There's a lot, and well, John Nail is your man, teaching us about how we contemplate, do contemplative, can't say that word, prayer. And, and I've got into the habit of just before I pray, not going on for 20 minutes, but just having five minutes just to still myself before God and before I start talking. Let him do some of the speaking. Pray out loud if you don't. I think praying out loud is good. Speaking in tongues is good. Singing is good. Another thing we often, I, maybe I try and overlook, is fasting and prayer as well. Um, we just need to be God aware. Just be God aware throughout the day. Um, Trevor says something about um, someone saying, um, I don't, sometimes I go through a whole day and I don't think about God. And Trevor said, me too. And I think a lot of us would say, me, me too. I, I don't always I can maybe go through time and not be consciously thinking about God. But I would say don't worry about that. Because I would, I'm sure that most of us through a day, a working day or whatever you're doing, it's not constantly thinking about your children or your family. I would not want the brain surgeon working on my brain or any other part of me to be thinking more about the argument he'd have with his wife that day than what he was doing to me, to be quite honest. God still loves us, and we still love him. Don't put yourself into a place of condemnation. It's good to pray with other people. I think it's also important to pray as a church because it adds an extra dimension to our individual times of prayer. It places me in the context of the family. It can confirm what we feel God is speaking to us as individuals. I mean, I've been excited because I'm sensing there is a new thing happening. Sometimes you sense it in your own life and, you, and God starts saying, you, there's something new, there's something more. Things are changing. And you come here on a Sunday and yeah, there's something new, there's something more. There's something bubbling up. It can confirm what God is speaking to us. It helps us to be open and vulnerable. It allows the gifts of the Holy Spirit to move among us in a way that he can't move as an individual. 
And it gives us a time to enjoy being in the company of my father, my brothers and my sisters, whilst putting God at the centre where he's supposed to be. It's a privilege to pray as a church, though it is a commitment. Second thing, and these are only brief because I'm so conscious these would be whole sermons in themselves and I don't want you sitting here for another hour or so. Reading the word. It is vital to read the word of God. We are Christians because we've been loved into life by Jesus. And sometimes people become believers without ever reading the word for themselves. I don't think I knew the Bible much before I became a Christian. What I had heard of the Bible was often what I had gone with questions to people who were believers. And they told me stuff from their own experience that was confirmed by the word of God. However, the Bible gives us a context for what we believe. It helps us understand what our salvation is about. It helps us understand what we're here for. It tells us what God is like. It tells us stories about other damaged human beings. And it gives us wonderful poetry and words to express our worship to God. And reading is not supposed to be a punishment. Um, Again, you know, I think I might say this in a minute. Often reading the word goes with prayer. What you read can trigger a response that leads into prayers of wonder, gratitude and worship. Um, Again, experiment with reading the word. Some people find it helpful to read through the Bible in a year. They use notes to help them. Sometimes it's a place for reading large amounts of scripture. Sometimes it's a place for reading small amounts of the word. It's just to do with rhythms in your life, I think. Sometimes I'll just read a a sentence. Sometimes I think I need to be reading through a book. There's lots of different ways of doing things. And sometimes getting hold of the seasons like Easter and Advent, where you can begin to read around those seasons. But whatever we do, it's supposed to be a joy. Um, Sometimes, you know, when you're reading through, when I've done like reading through the Bible in a year and I'm in numbers or something, and I think, oh, good, just what what is the point of all this? And actually, sometimes I've had to stop and say, right, you're not getting anything out of this at the moment. Go to read something else where you will get something out of it, where God can build you up and come back to that. In, in a different sort of way. Or stop trying to read three chapters of it at once, you know, just to tick the box and, and do what you're supposed to be doing because you're following through a Bible reading in a year. It's supposed to be a joy. And as we read it and become familiar, we find words of scripture come to help us in our everyday with God lives, yeah. even when we don't have a Bible in our hands. I believe that as you read the word and allow the springs to spring up, as we all do that, they can form a reservoir that we can draw on. My father took me um, recently. I do have a father. That's amazing, isn't it? And he's 92 this year. Um, but he went to show me um, what used to be a mill pond and is no longer used for that. And he said it is a spring-fed mill pond. So the sp- as the springs spring up, they create a reservoir of water to draw on. And I think that's what we read in the good times can sustain us when we pass through the storms and the difficult times. And also discover as we read God's word, he challenges us so we can make changes. Shines a light on areas where we need to make changes. Not to condemn us, never to do that. But shows us areas for development. It's a lamp to our feet, a light to our paths. And then lastly, meeting with other people. 
Genesis 2.18 says, it is not good for the man to be alone. And now we put that in the context, that is in the context of man and woman being created and being um, in partnership together. But I think we can say it is not good for people to be alone. Psalm 133 says, behold how good and how pleasant it is for brethren, this is King James Version, to dwell together in unity. If we are a family, we're not meant to just be a family in name. We're designed to be together. We can encourage one another, build one another up, see the gifts of the spirit at work. We also all have a part to play as part of the body of Christ. And we need to be in connection with one another. Hebrews 10 says, let us not neglect meeting together as some have made a habit, but let us encourage one another. We can go for a walk with a friend and end up sharing life. We can meet in a life group and experience life and make connections with other people. But I think when we meet to worship together on a Sunday like this, we can experience the flow of the river in a special life-giving way. I came across a verse in Psalm 65 which says, The river of God has plenty of water. The river never runs dry. There's plenty to satisfy everyone's thirst. And sometimes in our worship together, and worship isn't just here, of course, but thinking about here, sometimes the river runs gently and we're called to worship that allows us to be still in God's presence, finding healing and peace. At other times, the river bubbles playfully along and our worship reflects this in joy, excitement and freedom. And sometimes the river runs swiftly and deeply and we feel out of our depths. And we just have to go with the flow. And you know, I want more of that. Just going with the flow of God. Just being, I want to be in awe of God, actually. I just want to start being in awe again of what God can do amongst us. It's just in my heart to be in awe of what he can do. Worship allows God to speak to us together and encourages us to see where he is moving. We need to listen out for where the spirit is at work, particularly in a time of new things. And when we had that picture of the trees, we need to look out for the rustling of the trees, the leaves in the trees. Where's the spirit moving? Where's the flow of the river flowing? And make sure we go with that flow. There's great power in people who are filled with their own with God lives coming together to worship. And we need to value our time. We need not to be too casual coming in to our worship and meeting with God together. But we really want to come wanting to see him at work in his Holy Spirit moving. To be in awe of what he can do when we acknowledge he's amongst us. So because the river never runs out, as we live this with God life, the refreshing springs flow out into our streets, our town, our workplaces, our schools, our hospitals. The with God life is acknowledging that God is with us and is committed to us. He wants to be with us and spend time with us in all that we do. And it's our response to him. The with God life is responding to his wanting to be with us. It is realizing that there is no divide between what is spiritual and secular. And being God aware in the everyday routines of our everyday lives where we can just be us. As it says in here, just to finish off. We can just be ourselves cultivating the disciplines or habits that help us to practice God's presence in the real world. Amen.